Good evening, good evening, good evening. Yo, welcome back. Sorry, I'm, I'm still laughing because Chris just uh, walked us around. You know what I mean? That, that's dope. I, lo I love I loved, yeah, the setup. I figured um, you would. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. You got to get some context, bro. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I was going to, uh, you know, I just try to recompose myself. That's a beautiful place. So Chris is is doing what we should all do sometimes, tap into our our wilderness gene, you know, and um, out in the in the woods. And Chris, even though, despite that face, he is ecstatic that he's out reconnecting mm -hmm. with nature, you know, identifying trees and bugs and, and bear sightseeing and all the good stuff. The three of us still in that urban area, you know, urban concrete. So we need to, you know, we need to do a, a group camping trip one day. As a matter of fact, that's a, actually a good idea with tents and mm -hmm. old school indoors. All that. I'm good. I'm good. I, yo, bro, I, anything more than 24 hours with you, Reef, is torture. It could be a 24 hour camping trip if that's your limit. You know what I mean? You that's could just, right. You could bounce out after that. You know what I'm saying? 24 hours. It's good. It's good to know your limit. You know what I mean? But look, it's a, how y'all feeling today, man? Blessed. Uh, long, long, long travel day, but it came off of a blessing. Um, uh, so just just got back from D.C. Was at the National Urban League. Uh, our friend and friend of the show, Emery, has uh, he was showing the From Our Perspective documentary that Chris is also in. Uh, but Chris was away uh, in, in nature. But we had a really good turnout, man. It was really dope uh, watching this with these young professionals. And they had we had a line that, you know, that was, this is one of our longest talks uh, after watching this documentary. But I was supposed to be back home at one and I just got in 20 some minutes ago. I'm tired. My voice is gone. So I'm here, but I ain't here. But I'm here. <laughs> That's what's up, man. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Good to see you. Reef, do you do you want me to like do you want me to host that? Because you uh, you're not being assertive. Yo, bro, can, being you, can you tell how the folks how you are and stop with the nasty Ray stuff? That how how are you doing? Humanize yourself, bro. Like people, people, it's good for people to know. Like this is how I'm doing. This is what's going on. Here's what who here's what has distracted me or what's what's on my brain. So please let us know how so, you're doing. Yeah. All right. Let me get the screen. Is right, that so assertive enough I'm, for you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Right. So I'm doing well, right? But like I have this friend who <laughs> I, I guess I guess he's a friend. I don't know. But like every time I post something on a social media network, I always get a response and a follow up text from this friend. And it's always something that's super negative. Right. And so I'm just trying to I'm trying to understand, man, like if you what, what's that saying? If you if you don't have friends, if you don't have enemies, you whatever it is, Reef, you're the enemy. And so that's how I'm feeling. Today. Enemy or friend of me. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. So but for, I appreciate for those who don't have context, what I what I try to do is I, I look at Ray as, as one of my favorite young youngins. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> sometimes, you know, like it, it's 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 a shade of mentoring, right? Like I just give him feedback about some of the things he posts. I may follow up with a text with some more enlightenment. You know, like that's that's all it is. You know, but sometimes you know, <laughs> sometimes you got to mentor people, even if they're dragging, kicking, and screaming. But you got to do what you got to do because you got love for your people. Right. And Appreciate so, you, bro. yeah, that's, that's all it is. It's out of love. You know what I mean? How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Good to see y'all. Good to, you know, good to be seen. I'm listen. I, I keep every once in a while, like, yo, we are marching to episode 200, which is still like mm -hmm. mind boggling mm -hmm. to me that, you know, um, that that's a that's a real number um, and just really grateful, um, mm -hmm. you know, to be, you know, to be in this 
in this space, man. So uh, this week we're we're hosting seven state teams um, here in Philly, seven states, California, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana, uh, obviously Pennsylvania, to come up with, uh, to work on their diversity plans for their state. So most of the, you know, teams of six to 10 folks, um, and we're gonna provide support. We're co-hosting it with Ed Trust. Um, so really just been trying to uh, make sure this is uh, tight and ready and that we can support these teams um, as they come come through. Mm. But so, you know, things are going well. Things are going well. And Chris, you look like you're doing fantastic, bro. <laughs> I am. You know, so I'm out, out in the woods. I'm about three hours north of where the Twin Cities are. So mm. I'm in, like, uh, a place where you don't have a choice but to slow down and to yeah. think and whatnot, you know, and to um, kind of reflect. Yesterday we went to a state park. I don't usually do that. I bought a uh, annual pass to, this, to all the state parks in Minnesota. Mm. It was like $35 to get in every state park in Minnesota, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yesterday we went up to the beginning of the Mississippi River. We went to the as northern, the northernest most point of the Mississippi River. Mm. We went to it last night. And it was funny because a couple, a few years ago, we took a trip to, to New Orleans all together. And that was the bottom of the Mississippi River. Mm. This is the type of thing you have a conversation about, you know, with your kids, like, you know, like in real time, like here we are. Remember we were at the other place and now we're at this place. This is how the river works. Mm. And then, you you know, as a parent, you get to make stuff up because I don't know how the river works, to be very honest. <laughs> like I was, in my mind, I was like, in my mind, I was like thinking to myself, like how does the water get the hell back up to the top? Right, like, cause everything in my life, what must goes up, come down. But if it comes down, then it's gotta get back up. Like, wait, whoa, I'm at the beginning of the Mississippi, the Mississippi River. Where's that water coming from? Anyways. I just think it's a good parenting tactic to lie when you have to, because you don't want to like. <laughs> well, first of all, all my kids got phones and Google, and they. I was like, no, your kids—they probably like so. dad doesn't know what he's talking yeah. about. Yeah, they, they, they know what like I'm starting that. to stretch it. Let me just say this one thing. Though. I'm gonna say this one thing, and I don't know if this what you all will make of this. Driving here through hours of little small towns, there was a repeating situation. You guys have heard me talk about progressive cities. There's a, a repeating situation I've seen every time I go somewhere. New condos, gentrifying areas, you know, uh, the black part of town looks very identifiable and the white part of town has all this, you know, new stuff, bike lanes and all that stuff. But driving through like the Midwest and driving to where we are now, what I noticed, we went through a lot of small towns, lots of pride of ownership in, the, in these little houses, every lawn manicured damn near um a truck in every driveway damn near um not not wealthy at all not kind of wealthy not anything like it as a matter of fact whole communities that aren't really uh above the median median average you know income or whatnot but they look like something and in the middle of all of them there's a beautiful little school like we went to a place today that is bigger called Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. And it's like a lot of places, you got one little school in the middle and it's super well appointed. I mean, looks clean and looks pristine in the middle of the city. You're not trying to bring these folks any type of choices or options or opportunity. They got their, their little school, their middle school, their bigger school, they got their football. They've been together since kindergarten all the way through 12th grade through these three schools. They know their teachers. Um, and they're right in the middle of these little, not very wealthy 
cities that have almost idyllic levels of like care and uh, 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 up, upkeep. Anyways, I just wanted to share that because it was so clear in my head seeing this. We talk about education as if all of education is New York, Chicago, and, and LA, and it's not. There are 14,000 school districts in this, in this country with almost 100,000 schools, and not all of them are bad. Like yeah. A lot of these people, you come to some of these rural areas and try and snatch the, the school out the middle of their community, and, and they might cut you for it. This is a way of life for them. They all came through those same schools, and they're not. Well, I don't know. Maybe some of them are worse than we think, but not they're not all bad. Anyways, make it that what you will. No, I didn't I think, go on for a long, long no, time. No, no, I'm glad you I'm glad you shared that because I think it, it ties well into like what we were gonna talk about tonight. You know, so we're talking about, you know, independent black schools and what we could learn from them. And even if we don't have as many as we used to, what are still some of the things that that we can do as individuals, as small groups, as we build more schools? But in the meantime, what you know, and I think the values that they have, I think, are reflected in in their schools, right? And like I think that's why they're they're happy with it. They're, I think there's a consistent in values in certain neighborhoods and certain communities. You know what I mean? And they're like, leave us alone. Like this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to teach. We don't care if all that other stuff is excluded. We're fine with it. We're happy with it. This is our American way. And I, you know, and I think they often look at other places like, yeah, y'all done lost your way. And folks that do that and and you know, like really create cocoons for their communities, that reminds me of like what independent black schools did. You know, I don't know if anybody else had reactions to, you know, what Chris said, but that was my, uh, you know, first reaction. Mm. I just think it's dope, man. I'm glad that you got to be out there. I think that, you know, when I hear about that and, uh, I do think that there are certain ways that we tend to talk, not us particularly, but the, when, when, when they talk about education, they're thinking of New York, California, Texas, like, make, you know, Florida's in there now and then everybody else just kind of in, in Chicago and everybody else just kind of be damned or you got to go through this. And I think that there's a lot of districts that don't want to have nothing to do with none of the foolishness that's happening in the news and they just want to live their life and do their thing and. You know, it's, it, I think it's been really interesting. I think the other thing to juxtapose that though, Chris, too, I think. Some of those places is also some of these places where it's quote unquote parent voices now that's saying, all right, now y'all y'all doing a bit much. Uh, I think them politics start to get a little tricky too when you get to these villages and townships. Uh, I live in a township where you share, where different towns share resources and it could just be a really interesting to people. But uh, thank, I'm glad you shared it with us though. Um, I'm interested for this topic that, that, that Sharif got though, because you know part of this Sharif is like, you know, we always joke with you, but we kind of serious. A little truth is in, in 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 every little time we rib you. Like you, you had this incredible experience at this type of school that you went to, and it, like it always seems like you know Sharif Wakanda, and also just saw the Wakanda. I mean, uh, Black Panther two uh, trailer. It looks really good, actually. But um, I'm really interested because I like what you said, right? Like, I'm in it. Focus by the way, on the Chris, people that can't get that. that. Go ahead, Chris. He in that joke. No, I'm in it. I just wanted people to know that. Oh, you in it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a guest role. Oh, okay. Don't Blake. Wait, wait. Time out, time out, time out, time out. This yeah. ain't random because, like, I know I get called out a lot. When I do, when I do <laughs> say random shit, like, I got people looking at me, like, wanting to fight me and shit. Like, this ain't random? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> well, I was asking, I was asking about Sharif's school. So, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it bled into blood. Sharif's school, what kind of. 
Chris is, as a as a cameo. You know what I mean? Appearance. But I mean, but, but but tell me about those schools. Oh, go ahead, Ray. I think you're about to say the same thing I was saying. Go ahead. No, so I was about to set up the video, man, because we yeah. will give give folks a, a, the context. Yeah, let me just give. Um, so so yeah. Ray, uh, thanks again for for uh, finding this video. So one thing that we'll put the clip for. Uh, we made a small documentary. Well, I shouldn't say we. You know, a, a small group of us. Uh, Farida, Oheniwa, Ayana, Mama Kamara, they worked with uh, Scribe Video, which is a community-based uh, organization that helps what they call as precious places. They go to communities. This uh, brother, Louis Messiah, he's been doing this forever. My oldest son did an internship with him and everything. And so he's been for years creating documentaries about communities. We're talking about like uplifting people's stories uh, but not just doing it pen and pad, but you know, sharing videos and documentaries, many documentaries of them. And so one of the things he did was, uh, you know, we so we applied, and the, the team, my classmates, and one of our uh, teachers uh, worked with them to create a small documentary. It's a little, you know, we'll we'll have to put the link inside the the chat for folks to take a look at later because it was too hard to to kind of chop up. Uh, but Ray, being the the, the the friend that he is and the super producer that he likes to be, uh, he was able to find another video that kind of captures like what people were saying about independent black schools. And a lot of it, the themes have come up over the past couple of years in our conversations, certainly in Freedom Fridays, uh, you know, uh, with Chris, uh, but still just wanted to show this piece and then we'll just dive in. What else can we do if we don't have as many as we used to? All students are gonna, aren't gonna be able to access them what can we do as individuals and in our communities, even without the school? If we look, can we look at school a different way? Um, something that Cole talks about a lot. There, learning happens everywhere. Chris talks about you can't stop a kid from learning. So how do we take some of these principles and what are specific things that we can do in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our uh, faith-based institutions to recreate independent schools, even if it's not brick and mortar? So um, Ray, Ray, can you? Uh,
Thanks, Ray. Appreciate that. And so I just want to dive into like, you know, what are, you know, things that, and all of this is like consistent with what we've been saying, even before we started this show, things that we were engaging with, things we were writing about, things we were talking, things that we were doing, um, actually, um, in our, you know, in our personal, professional, and many times blended um, uh, lives um, across both of those, you know, but I think the the thing that stuck out, you know, that, that continues to stick out for me um, in that space is, is one centering black youth, right? Like actually having high expectations for them, having love for them and recognizing that my future is directly connected to your success. And I think anytime there's a, you know, our students are in spaces, whether school or otherwise, where the adults do not look at their own future as connected to the success of that child, there's going to be, it's going to be problematic. Like you can't win that way. You can't succeed that way. When it talks about survival of our people, our people can't survive that way. If the people who are leading them, teaching them, have a hold in their resources, but not looking at their success as tied to that, that linkage, that connection, that, uh, you know, that need for each other comes out differently um, in these type of spaces, whether it's a school or whether it's otherwise. So that was like the first thing that like just really blasted at me. And I was like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that is, is also what I've just seen, you know, um, in classrooms, in schools uh, around the country. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that resonated for me, uh, just regards to the show, is that, you know, Black independent schools is not something that's new, right? So like in doing my research for the show, I'm sitting and I'm, I'm looking at New York, there's Black independent schools in New York, and I dropped it in the, uh, I dropped it in the chat for, for folks that are listening. Man, this thing started in 1704. I'm like, wow. So like for hundreds, for, for, for centuries, like Black folks have like cared about education. And so now there's this current narrative, like, oh, Black people don't care about their kids. Like we've always cared about our kids, always, right? And theirs um, too. <laughs> yeah, facts. Some of yeah. them were forced to care for her, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, what were your thoughts? I mean, we care about ours. We've cared for theirs. Yeah, that's what there's I mean. a distinction between the two. One was voluntary, one was involuntary. Right. Um, I think this is just important to so one thing that I always talk about the means of education, like reclaiming the intellectual development of our own kids. It's very hard to do that in total if you don't own the means of education. You know, in some other theories, you talk about the means of production. In this, I'm talking about the means of education. If you don't own it yourself, you don't own the educative, the educative process. You don't own the intellectual development of your children. And if you're a marginalized group in any, anywhere in the world and you haven't yet thought about how you build your own means of education for your children, then you really haven't thought about liberation yet. And and the problem with that is, is it's not rocket science. You do need to start schools. You do need to start, maybe not even schools, you need to start educational experiences that you control at whatever level you can. If you can't take over a whole school system, fine. If you can't start a million schools, fine. If you if all you can do is start an after school program or you know before school program or a Saturday school or whatever, but you do have to start somewhere, like reclaiming yeah. that process, that part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, oh, go ahead, bro. I, I think when you think about charter schools, right? Like charter schools were supposed to be that for 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 the black community, right? In, in some respects, I know Chris, you always talk about Minnesota, uh, the Afrocentric charter schools that, that that were there that were performing well that were shut down that were shut down, right? Um, 
But I, when I think about that, right, I think about, you know, is there a way to set up a perfectly equipped school that affirms black kids, but also adheres to the powers that be in terms of like kids being ready to take like standardized tests or whatever the means are in terms of like, you know, if, if they keep their accreditation, quote unquote, right? Uh, from, from the state. So is there a way to do that on a local level, but then still work within the confines of, of, of the outside? I think you can do it. I think there's like a dual process that has to occur, but I, I think it can be done if they just leave us alone. That's a, that's a big <laughs> if, right? That's a big yeah. if. I mean, and I would say like, you know, and I'll, I'll you know, try to thread as much as possible about Nathan Musasa through this conversation this evening. But most of us who left there, it was a pre-K to sixth grade school. Most of us who left sixth grade were able to skip multiple grades, you know. So a whole lot of us were like just leaving there, and and they were taking some type of assessment to have access to whatever school that they were transitioning to. Many of my classmates ended up, you know, just going to a a you know a higher grade, skipping a grade, graduating early, all those uh you know type of things. So. So I, I, I uh, go ahead, Cole. And then we'll, no, uh, no, I, I just, I just was listening to it. I think the hope, and I've, I've said this before. I think you know, for me, the hope is you know, black schools, independent schools, like black private schools that have no ties to the government, and whether it be Afrocentric or or maybe even not Afrocentric, whatever it is that you want, that actually is going to see that brilliance in your kid and like and teach them or whatnot. And then, but when we talk about like what the reality is for a lot of people, right? Like, I mean, you just came up in this phenomenal community that had that. It's like, yo. Because people will hear that and be like, "Well, that, that ain't happening in my in my in my area." And I think one of those things is you gotta stop waiting. It, it can be a school, but it could be like just a center. It could be there has to be something that 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 injects that kind of black love and and those and those rites of passages that I think that we need in our community. It, it's 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 crazy. Like if you go to Oakland, right, the Black Panthers will do a tour, and you can you can take this tour across the city and on the on the on the streetlights where they did something like where the first meeting was in North Oakland or where they got this intersection done, they put up these, these things that kind of let you know they're yellow and black. And I was with a group of teachers and one of the teachers asked the Panther, uh, which they probably shouldn't ask, Oh, who let y'all do this? Or who like, who did you work with to do this? Uh, and they got a full education. They said, then nobody let us do nothing. Nobody is. He said, he, he said, when does anybody ever just let black people do anything for themselves that was serving them and not other people? You, and, and, and that was just we have to have that type of mentality. Right. Like so it may not end up being the type of school that you have, Reef, which sounds incredible, but we have everything we need. And people say we ain't got enough resources. We ain't got enough resources. Well, let me remind you, highest level of reading growth for us was right after slavery when people really didn't have nothing. You know what I mean? And most of those people couldn't even read, but made sure that they people could. I think like. There's a lot of people that talk about what they want, and I think everybody can do something to kind of build an environment that helps with that. That that's that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I want to tie in like you know uh, Ray mentioned in the 1700s, right? And so there were things about our people that you know the value of education and the process of of and the relationship between teaching and learning and communities, and it may have been strained during the Middle Passage, right? Because it was illegal threat of death, threat of being maimed, all that kind of stuff. But yet, despite it all, it was strained, but not broken. And you see so many instances of that, like where this information and things were being passed along, how to, you know, the relationship between teaching and learning and access. And 
liberation without education is just, you know, it's it's rudderless. It's it's just not going to go, uh, you know, not going to go far. But you know, when Ray mentioned 1700s and these independent black schools, it made me think of, you know, you know, now a lot of people are talking about more black teachers. And Caroline LeCount was talking about that in the 1800s. You know, a lot of times people think like, oh, this is a, you know, a relatively new, it's a contemporary issue. No, 1800s people knew like, nah, we need black people teaching black children because that is key to the student's success. That is key to their affirmation. That is key to them seeing themselves as full human beings despite the laws and policies that uh, existed that you can't, you know, people don't want you to talk about today. Uh, Anti-CRT was the same thing, same pattern. So this has always existed. And, you know, so for, you know, someone asked about, uh, uh, Ms. Cynthia asked about the independent black schools. This idea of the independent from, you know, other institutions, other, uh, you know, the government mm -hmm. is community-based, is families and students-based. It is it's basically a contract within the community that we are going to create the learning and build the relationship between teaching and learning that we believe is central to our, our success, our survival, our thriving, all of those things. But it's independent of this is what the state says you must do, or this is what the district says you must do. It is what the community is saying you must do and we must do as a collective. But Rick, Rick, I, why, 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 why does it have to be, why can't it be in addition to? As opposed to just what what the community wants, why can't why can't it align? Why can't it be so rigorous that it aligns with what the state is asking for as well? Or well, what I'm be? what I, yeah. So what I let me reframe yeah. it. Yeah. Many of these community schools, their their bar is actually higher than what a state would yeah, actually offer, right? Yep. Like their their idea of what a black child could can accomplish yeah. is actually way higher, right? And so if yep. we if we say like, you know, oh, the standard, and this is what, why I gave the example in the time, like they weren't looking at the, the state standard, like, oh, we got to pass this, oh, we got to do this. They were like, what can our students achieve? What can they do? What, what is their God-given potential, as Chris frames it? And then how do we challenge and support them at the same time to be able to do this, right? And so that, it, it, it goes beyond the standards, because standards and oftentimes are limiting. You go to some of these standards, right. they're so low, you're like, Yo, that's actually what that's the bar for the state for your for your constituents. I mean, this some of it is like downright like, yo, y'all don't want to be. And you're not meeting it. Yeah, and you're not that. meeting it. Like it's that's very low scary. and you're not meeting it. I mean, that's what those yeah. standards are supposed to be, right? Like, this is what you should at least be knowing. Like, you should at least yeah. know this. You know what I mean? Like, I just crushed yeah, up a bunch of data in Oakland and I, I sent it to y'all in the group. I, I don't know if y'all looked at it, but there was ELA data in California. Uh, who took what or whatnot, and again, you know who was at the bottom, who's at the top, and people can say what they want about tests or whatever, but the larger point is, is that we hold ourselves to, we, we just have to hold, we hold ourselves to a different standard. I think one of the things that might be frustrating and hard for people is like, okay, but what do I do, right? Like, if I don't, if I don't live in a community around a Sharif with the type of mom and community that he had, with the religious practices, like, like, I mean, self-determination is kind of baked into like Sharif's life, uh, like ethos, right? Like, what if there's somebody that, that don't have those type of community connections and don't and, and may not feel that way? Like, what are some concrete things for that mom that's watching or that dad that's watching that's like, you know what, I need a better, I want an additional community for my kid, whether it be educational or whatnot. Like, what's some, what's some, some like, yo, you can go do this right now. Right. So I, I, I think the show, I think the show was more so, 
centered around the possibilities of building, right? So like I I know you're talking, you're asking for like immediate things that folks can do right now, which is which is amazing because like school is coming up and, and folks definitely need to have those things in their in their hands. But I think the show was more so around like if we were building this type of school, what would it look like? But Reef, clarify. I, I don't know. that way. I, I heard. I yeah. mean, when I mean, when I was thinking about are, the show, I, yeah, yeah, when we were talking beforehand, it was kind of like, what are some examples of this, and then what is what what can people do that don't have this or whatever? I'm just saying, if somebody don't have this, is this is how some people might be watching this, right? I don't live in Philly. I don't. I hear Sharif every single week, right? Like I didn't grow up in that type of house. How can I simulate? Like maybe it is finding one of those schools, but like in Oakland. You know, Chris came and visited our black school there, but that school, you have to pay for it. And there's a wait list. Like it's hard to get in there. Like part of the show, from my understanding, was also like, how do we equip some of these folks that might be hearing this and might be smiling about it? Because, you know, but like, yo, what can I actually do? Yeah. And I think it's both. I think I think we should be. We should be thinking about how to build schools. And in the meantime, we should be doing things in the here and now as well. Chris, you were about to jump in. I was just going to say that. I think that this tension is going to come up again between what I call the Monday problem for yeah. a teacher and a student. What do I do next Monday? Right. How is anything you're talking about right now make next Monday, make it better for me where I have a place to put my kid or whether I have, you know, whether I have to face kids in the classroom. You guys talk about PD, but is anything you talk about to make me a better teacher next Monday when I go to school? Um, right. But, but, I think the grassroots appeal of that or the, the kind of wanting to get down to the real is on a separate track that two things have to be happening at once. Yes, we have to give people practical things to do at the, at the front line, at the, the daily level. At the same time, some of these things are not within their purview. Uh, I do want somebody to go out and start a hundred schools who understands how to start and run schools, how to run networks, how to create learning opportunities for thousands of children. And I know that a parent ain't gonna do that. So this, these types of conversations, I think there will be a tension between what's the practical for the mom who don't know nothing and just needs all kinds of help. And what's the what's the help for people that are trapped in the system who act like they don't know nothing and they can't do anything. Like if you are superintendent right now, you have a lot of power to start new schools that you're not using right now. The superintendent in every, every city could probably be doing 10 times more than what they're doing right now. That the charter laws of my state make it so that there shouldn't be a single superintendent who is saying that somebody else can do something that they can't do, right? So there are people in the system and outside the system that need practical advice to do two things at once. We need you to get your student to Safe Harbor. And by Safe Harbor, I mean you need to get your student into culturally uh, affirming, humane education situations. And at the same time, we need our systems builders to be building systems that get more and more of our kids into safe harbor and stop acting like they don't know what to do or acting like they don't have any resources or whatever because they do and these type of schools the type of school experience that you have no joke with you about it but it is left it, it took you out of the american teabagging and put you in a different teabagging and because of that you came out a different person and i think we could do that for thousands of kids I think we could do that for tens of thousands of kids. Uh, um, there's only, you know, we always talk about 8 million black kids. There's like 3 million that are in poverty, right? If we can't get some small systems going to start moving more of that 3 million into better pasture, uh, be better, whatever, 
then God help us. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Charles, my fault. My fault. Because, like, I, I was looking at it from the perspective of... I was looking at it through the lens you of... You just the, having a conversation. The, you good. I was looking at it through the lens of what I do and not necessarily looking at it through the lens that, of what you do. And, and my apologies. No, no, I'm good. You, you're, I, I, it's fine. We're just having a conversation. The I, I, only reason I was saying that is because when we think about who's on this call, right? Like, who's on this show? Like you're educated, you run schools, your friends are in education, like you have means, right? Like it's a, you're, there is a position that some people like Chris was saying is able to think from a systemic level, right? Where it's like, okay, I got some options. There are some other people that's like, might be listening, but going through it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yo, I'm trying to keep this boy off this, off this corner. Y'all talking all this. And here's the other thing. And we never say this. I don't know why we, but like, you know, everybody don't want to go to an Afrocentric school either. Just because they black don't mean they want to go to a school. That's Afrocentric. That was a big thing in Oakland, right? Like it was like it was a lot of black people that didn't like that school and didn't like those practices. But it, it don't everything don't have to look the same. So I'm fine with the way you were coming from. Right? I guess my, my question was just I love this this conversation that we have. But I also yeah. just want to make sure somebody can do something tomorrow or reach out to somebody or they know that they have some type of power to, to, to act. I want them to feel like they got some type of agency to put their kid in a different environment. And it might not be in a school. But they might yeah. maybe 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 it's somebody maybe they got somebody like Sharif at their house. I mean, in their neighborhood, and they like, yo, we just gonna buy groceries and cook. Can you host a dinner? Like, can you do this? Like, can we something that kind of transmits the good parts of our culture? Just building off of last week's yeah. show, we talked about all yeah. this joy we got, and like yeah. a lot of black kids not getting black joy transmitted into them on top of not being able to read or do math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, no, I, think, I respect um, that. Yeah. No, and these are all like really important points. And I, and I would just want, I want to share like the danger of not doing it, right. not doing it on a small thing, not doing a large thing. So uh, I shared before that right now in front of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court is this uh, school funding uh, lawsuit. Right. And so they are literally fighting to get more funding. Uh, it's poor kids get 5,000 less than wealthier kids in the state to be educated. So 5,000 people are like, oh, 5,000, that's 5,000 per year. So imagine you're in school 13 years. So that's 5,000 times that 13 years, you have less for your education. And then you multiply that by 100,000 students in, in, in our district or other, you know, Philly ain't the only poor district. Philly ain't the only brown district. You know, we got many. Right. Um, and they've shown over and over again that they get 5,500 less per kid. So they're arguing this case in front of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And this joker, the, you know, and it's basically against the Republicans because they, they hold the, the House and, and, um, and the Senate, whatever. But the, the John Krill, who's the lawyer, who's arguing um, you know, for the Senate uh, president, he says, what use was someone in the McDonald's career track have for Algebra 1? You know, they were arguing like, yo, we, we need more money. This is like not just in their little cigar, private golf club. You know what I mean? This is in court, bruh, in court. So if they say something like this in court, then you know the policies and law. But let me just, what use was someone on the McDonald's career track have for Algebra 1? And then he goes on to say, like, that ain't bad enough. He says, you got to remember, Pennsylvania has a whole lot of needs. We got needs for retail workers and for people who know how to flip pizza crust. He's like, and that's the, and who does he see? You know, so I was doing a workshop with these, with these uh, young uh, students. I was like, who are they, who are they talking about? And who are they saying, like, this is the education we're going to give you. And this idea of being subservient, they may not say it anymore. They may not say that we're, you know, they do, but you know, what's more important to them 
is that they have the policies and the law and the funding and all the and controlling of all these different ways to ensure that these so this is the danger of not doing what all three of you talked about having these independent transmitting centering you know uh joy and success and you know just a healthy mindset about yourself about your potential and making sure that you are in a safe space like that hey, is court Reef, real quick, man. Uh, 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 Principal uh, Cafele put something in here about African centered and, and Afrocentric, talking about the differences between the two. If you want to clarify that, and then also shout out to our guy, man. He's uh, 10,000 feet in the air and kicking it with us right now, man. So shout out to him, uh, Million Miler. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Reef. Yeah, no, I would listen. There's a lot of you know conversation about like Afrocentric and African centered. Afrocentric really pulls from you know. African uh, roots, like for example, Ma'at, which is a you know basically a value system, and there are schools that use Ma'at as you know, which is you know Egyptian value system, and they that's what they use for their school's value system, you know, and then there are others that are kind of black and African centered that centers their education, but may not necessarily you know we use Swahili for example as our second language, and often throughout the school we use you know, Swahili as the language, um, you know, not in the regular transmitting of education and, and teaching learning, but there were many, many words that we grounded on, you know, based off of that, as opposed to there can be other, they're black schools and they're just like pro-black. They're making sure that the, the students are, uh, their identity is affirmed and things like that, but they, they may not necessarily go as deep into traditional paradigms of, of African values. They may look at what we use today as black people and may center in that way. And then, and then of course, there's a whole lot of blending, um, you know, as well. Um, so for example, our, uh, in our school, I don't know if, it, it, I don't know if traditionalists would call it Afrocentric, you know, um, even though it was African centered, because what they said was the traditional African way is fantastic, but we want our students to be able to operate in the here and now and be able to use their, their blackness right now, today, in these contexts. And we don't want them to be disconnected, right? And that's why I would share, like, our classrooms were named after uh, African liberation movements, you know, Frelimo, Swapo, MPLA. We'd count in Swahili. We'd use, you know, Vita Sa'ana as our, our, which was the African martial arts, as, as our health and PE classes and things like that. But they were very in tune to what was happening right now in the United States as well as globally. So that's, you know, but it's a lot of blending as well, I would say, in the, in the schools. Yeah. So I, I guess a question that I have, right, is, uh, and I, put, I also put this link in the chat, is that when you think about uh, uh, teachers being at, at, at these Black independent schools, like Black teachers, right, um, do we think about the fatigue that, that they experience being inside of this Blackness, right? Because sometimes it can be toxic. I'm sorry for say putting more. that out there. No, say more. Because I, 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 I feel that I feel wasn't like, my experience, so I'm trying right, to understand. It, it may not have been your experience, right? But like different people experience different things, right? So I feel like sometimes when you get into these systems that are like predominantly African American uh, centered, right? It's torturous for some people. It doesn't. It, it doesn't necessarily. In what way? It, say more. It doesn't. So it, it doesn't track the same way. So like for example, like I, I always. I liken it to like attending a PWI and also attending a, a, a HBCU. 
like my experiences in both were two totally different experiences right and so although i feel like there were some problems in my pwi in terms of like you know them understanding blackness and us being seen i also felt like there was some issues in regards to the hbcu in terms of like shit being too black sometimes right like that's but that's my experience yeah. <laughs> too black, too strong. Too black, too strong. That's all I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm like oh, what? Yo, you know what? Teabag this part. When we thing. see him, we're going to run up on him and teabag him because he needs a different uh, hot water. You know what I'm saying? Okay, see, that's the wrong, uh, that's the way wrong analogy. Um, but <laughs> there's so many problems with that analogy. But I will say, really? This, uh, not everything is for everybody. Right. And and not every work environment is for every person. And, and you know, there is, a, luckily, there's a place for you to teach if this isn't your thing, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I can't think of any simple, like, no matter what, when you start these schools, you're going to have to hire people. And when you hire those people, you're going to have to have a process of determining whether or not uh, they should be there, like whether it's the right environment for them. It's not to be for everybody. Yeah. 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 And if you want me to come to the schools and point out who, who it's not for. You know, we, we, and we're talking about schools. And I think that, again, like it's like, how do you recreate these things in a place where you might have a little bit more power? Right. Like, so, you know, I I used to work with these Asian kids. And like I said, they had their school stuff. Actually, they went to a traditional school. They had all Chinese teachers and Still, they mag- they magically had all this stuff, right? Which is a, a whole different episode. But every day, them kids had to either go to Chinese school after school or all day Saturday. And in that, I've sat in. Like, I, I felt like I was, like, not supposed to be there. But, like, they really are engaging with these kids around their culture and who they are and how they should feel about their motherland. Like, you know, we, we ain't the only people that's, like, proud of where we come from, right? Like, these people are like, yo, like, they, they're not teaching their kids that they better then people in Americans, but they are teaching them. I expect way more from you, and I think that we we they get so sensitive about language. You said what? They are teaching them that they're better than us. I mean, probably that real talk in this show. Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, and, the kids that they're better yeah, than us. So, and, and I think that you have to. We have to line our own kids up with their own level of armor. Like we have to arm our kids with their own armor about who they are and where they come from and what they are able to do. And I think that like. But we got to be able to have those conversations because now we starting to be one of them really sensitive groups where you can't say this and you can't do that. And like some things just need to be able to happen. Like if you live the people that live where you live, Chris, there are some some dads and moms that are teaching their kids how to hunt because that's just where they live. It's just the reality of the situation. If you live in America in certain parts, there's just going to be racism and, and inequity like that don't mean that you don't try to change it. But I think that there are just lessons that we leave it on the kitchen table for our kids. And like, maybe it'll come into school, right? Maybe it will. But that's a big old maybe. That's a big ass if. It's a big if, man. And I don't think that you might have. Not even be an if, right? It might just be not. <laughs> it, it, right, right. And that's what, I, but you, you know, but you, you said it, you know what I'm saying? But I wanted to just double down on that. Like, let's talk about what happens if you don't. Let's talk about the type of adults we are raising if you do not. I put a link in the chat. I don't know if it came up, but I wrote a long time ago about a generation of serfs. And we were looking at Oakland and like who was able, who's going to be able to work in this city that used to be a black city. It ain't the, it ain't going to be the black people. It's not going to be them 
Like, if they setting these people up for these jobs as janitors, and ain't nothing wrong with a janitor, ain't nothing wrong with, like, these things, but the education trajectory for black kids in that city is not setting them up to live in that city. And I think that if we don't have that type of conversation, and if you're not aware of that, just because you don't know don't mean you're not going to be a victim of it. Oh, yeah. If you don't know, it's likely the chances of right. you being a victim is going to uh, increase exponentially. You know, they bank it on you not knowing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, and I, I agree, like, every, I think people underestimate what they can actually do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's one thing. You know, regardless, there are there's so many people that underestimate, you know, and we talk about, you know, uh, um, what's that term, uh, you know, when somebody doesn't think they belong somewhere in like, you know, some space and imposter and they, uh, syndrome, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Right. People think always think about imposter syndrome in some other space that they feel like they don't belong. I think we have imposter syndrome right here in our own communities where people feel like Mm -hmm. I don't have the power. I can't. I shouldn't. And it's just like, no, like, don't have that. Like, you know, I used to think it was only like, oh, you're you're in this school, you're in this PWI, you're in this new job and da da da, And you don't see and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm nervous. Right. Like. But no, how many people could probably do just lean a a little bit more and then adding that that pressure with someone else. Right. And then just adding if if all we do, if every barbershop made a commitment to like, hey, when the children are here, like their brains are it's everywhere is a learning environment. And they say, you know what, this is going to be a learning environment. Right. And we see it. We see the barbershop uh, with books. Right. We see them saying mentorship. You know, we say we see that. But it's just like, you know what, suppose we turn the fire up a little bit more, a lot more, but let's start off with a little bit more, right? And I, when I think about like my mom, for example, she was fussing at the local masjid because she was like, you know, we're doing all this stuff for adults. We're, why aren't you, what are we doing for children? And she pushed them and challenged them to start a pre-K school, a pre-K program within this masjid. And I, and I, I bring this up because I, I posted the other day of, I was sitting in between two sisters, two Muslim women, my mother's age, they were my mother's uh, friends and colleagues. They're both educators, they're both teachers. One of them was my science teacher in this pre-K program. I've never forgotten her. I've never forgotten the lessons. I've never forgotten like how she made us feel, how she challenged us. And she continued that even as she went to the district later, you know, was head of science department, all of those kind of things. But it was just like, like, yo, they had some really amazing teachers in a pre-K program. Like you shouldn't necessarily remember your pre-K teachers, but I do. I remember my music teacher. I remember the uh, the generalist, the regular teacher, the science teacher. Like I remember these people, and what that was was a push for a masjid to start and say, like, you know what, you have to do something for children, not just focus on the spirituality of adults. You have to think about the education and the brains of these children, right? And we can all do that in some type of space and way. Um, and I think the second piece is we need a counter kind of counterculture. You know, we talked about this on Friday, uh, Chris, you know, this counter space where, you know, if if we know and recognize that all the, you know, all the media, everything that's being pumped into kids, unco- forget the conscious and forget the things that they are like conscious of, but they're unconscious of who they are and where they belong in society. You know, that teaching them that you are a stowaway to this, to this country, you are a stowaway to this American dream. You are a stowaway to progress. And there's nothing, if we're not actively countering that, 
you know, then we're in a heap of problems, right? We're in a heap of problems. We can't just say, oh yeah, this is happening and not go all in to counter it. You're muted. No, he's talking to somebody else. He's talking to us. He's not talking to us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, nah, I just, no, I got you, man. I think it's, I think it's dope. I think, I think, um, I love when you tell those stories about the school you went to. I, I, I truly do. I think, again, I want to make sure that I'm hopeful. I know I'm not usually the hopeful one in that sense. I'm, I'm usually like, how do we survive? Hopefully, I wish we could see better type of Black-led, Black-focused, not connected to the government-type schools. I Also, for my people that like to say that college ain't for everybody, I agree. So where is your vocational school? I want to see a Black vocational school that's like, look, here are the jobs that have been paying this much. Is a shortage in this or whatnot? You can enroll here, whether you like, you know, from 14 to 24 or whatnot. You know what I mean? Like there there are things that we can have and that we can build uh, where our people can live good lives, man. Because, again, you're right. Everybody don't want to go to college. Everybody don't want to learn Shakespeare. Everybody don't want to do those things. But like no one should learn Shakespeare. You said what? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> no one should learn Shakespeare. The older, boring. The older I get, the more that I'm like, yeah, Romeo and Juliet is a dumbass story. Uh, the older I get, the stupidest story. Yo, question. Can I ask you a question? An honest question. Just want to point out this random thing one more time here. It's not random. Shakespeare is, is boring and we should stop reading it in all of its forms. Only in derivative forms should we read it, meaning when they you have need, recast you know, it. I am the big pentameter, bro. So, 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 so. Um, here's the question that I have for y'all. Just that It's an honest, actual question. This isn't rhetorical. Um, a lot of when we talk about the schools that we used to have and, and the uh, teachers that we used to have and the independent schools, we talk a lot in the past. And, and it's a pretty distant past in some ways. We talk about time periods where black folks knew that they belonged together mm-hmm. and they had a common reason. Like when you talk about, we, we gained literacy at the fastest rate of any human population ever after slavery, that's because we was on the same boat. And we mm-hmm. had a collective interest in us all rising mm-hmm. up at the same time. We had a collective interest under Jim Crow. We had a collective, a clear collective interest uh, under uh, the the pre civil rights era and the segregation era and the area the era where there were like you went to a black dentist and a black accountant and had a black plumber and had a you know whatever blah blah mm-hmm. because you had to and at one point in our history let's forget white folks taking off and going to build up their collectivist suburbs they built collectivists. When I talked about all those places I passed on the way where I'm at right now, all those little communities, those are collectivist little, you go in and try and break into one of those communities, right? They are fully formed uh, collectivists. They know they belong together. Community is the idea of knowing that you belong together. Us having lost that, we t- we've talked about this before, like the, the black dollar doesn't even make a full mm-hmm. lap before it goes right. out of the community. But then when you look at other groups, their dollars make multiple laps in their community before they go out. That's a cute story to tell, but it's a story about the loss of collective interest that other groups did never, Jewish people, Italian people, um, white people in small towns, rural areas, whatnot, they have a collective mandate. That's why when you try and move in to some place where you're not supposed to move in, you get the hint real quick that you're trying to get in somebody else's team. Uh, George Frazier has this quote where he says, you know, if you want to if, if you want to think about what I just said, try and open a Booker T. Washington delicatessen in Chinatown and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. 
But all of those folks, we lift up Asians as like, you know, oh my God, they're doing so much better than us and everybody else or whatnot. They have a collectivist mindset that we don't have. So do Koreans. So do a lot of other people. I mean, I'm only raising it to say, you can start all these schools, but the black middle class is one of the biggest, quite as told, shh, shh, I ain't joining y'all thing, right? right? Like, like our black middle class, our middle class versus some other middle class have lost all that collectivist. Nah, let, let me not say that. I'm asking this as an honest question. You, you guys tell me if I'm going too far. I really believe it would be a hard sell to get black people to feel like they, they have a collective interest across class lines again. Uh, like they had in the times where black schools made a lot of sense. Too far. Yeah. No, I, I, I think <laughs> for some, said too far. <laughs> you're like, tell me too far, too far. No, I, I think, you know, I, I actually think that that is not, I think one, other groups have not had the type of pressure and, and um, you know, like systems built against them. Theirs was more episodic and not as deeply entrenched or as long as the black experience here in America. Right. And I think we see that with other groups. We see that with uh, recent immigrants or generational uh, immigrants. Like it, it's a very different, uniquely, um, you know, oppressive experience, uh, the black experience in America. So I think that has a lot of pressure, uh, you know, added to it that, you know, uh, dissipates a lot of the unification that other groups may get to a little bit easier. I think the second uh, component of that is just the, the uh, what you're think I'm saying is like yes, you have to still go. We still have to get beyond that. Like we still have to move forward. Yes, this is happening, and to truth, that was happening. And how do we collective work and responsibility and collective accountability? Right. Like we still have to. I feel like that, that second out. part might be a little bit of a dream. Uh, that 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 sounds good in books that that get written in when we talk, but the MC breed. Uh, I got to get mine and you got to get yours is the anthem mm. of how people actually act. There's what people say and what they study and what they write. And then it was what they actually do, what they, what they actually do, what they actually do. And what they actually do is once they get a little bit of money, once they got a certain kind of job within a certain tax bracket, they make changes. Driving a, which driving no, a certain which, kind of car, drive, driving which no a certain listened, kind of, which no one can fault them for though. Yeah. But you can't fault them for it. Like, like, I mean, people work their whole life to try and get better and get more. And to like have something better out of life and not have their lawnmowers get, get stole out the garage and shit. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that's like people, people, you know, you get old, you get old for that. Like, you I know, think, you just want, you know, your, I, you want your lawnmower to be the same place and you don't want Debo breaking in your house, taking your lawnmower and your bike, right? But uh, at the same time, that's he a never bad never broke in nobody's house. You said what? Oh, oh he yeah. Didn't yeah. Even... <laughs> Look, yeah. Well, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that, well, two things, two things. I'm going to say, one, I do think there are more people who are countering that in, in a way. And yes, you, you mentioned poverty. You know, living, being able to, to live overseas and being, you know, visiting a lot of different countries, you know, uh, impoverished people may do things but it's not just a you know that's that transcends a whole lot of spaces right you know that transcends a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of places so even sometimes we look at this unit i remember back in the day and this is this is random this is for right this is for random oh good there was this was a, a movie and I, I think it was called uh once upon a time in america it was talking about mm -hmm. like uh the jewish ghetto and the impoverished and 
And they were they were wilding out, right? Like they were straight up wilding out, right? And you can see some of the same stories in any place that's impoverished where people are are forced together and there are layers and layers of policies and law and police and things like that. And there, it adds this pressure and it adds this thing. So yes, I'm acknowledging that, but it's not just here. This is worldwide, right? And then secondly, I think I think some of those pressures have always existed. And I agree with you, whether it was, you know, uh, the Talented 10th in the early 1900s, it was very similar. Um, I, I've shared this story before, um, Up South, which is a book uh, written by, uh, I think, Matthew Countryman. I um, mean, he talks about the Philadelphia elite, Black elite, mm-hmm, the Talented 10th, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how they scorned, how they treated, how they, um, you know, uh, you know, disparaged people who look like them, but who were coming up through the great migration, right? And they were like, oh no, like who are these folks? Mm-hmm. Send them back where they came from. Um, all so bad so that they, um, you know, try, they took over the NAACP when there were some more radical elements that were trying to use the NAACP to really change the lives of, of all black folks. They were like, oh no, we need, to, we need to shut this down and start over and all kind of things. So I, I do agree with you, like that has happened, that continues to happen. Um, and I think there are, there are a lot of folks who would, if there was a, this, I just think everybody has to do where what they can, where they are. And yes, there were going to be some people who were like, That's true. I, I'm not That's part true. of it. But yeah. I think there's so many who are actually, who would be interested. I just, I love be. your, I love your reality though, Sharif. I love, I love, I truly love like hearing when you talk about how you grew up and what you did. I, but I gotta be honest, right? I didn't grow up like that. I Like I didn't, and, and, and again, like, I, I hate that term talent to Tim because most of them Negroes don't rock with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they don't like it, it, it's, That's it's what I'm like, they, yeah. And I, I, I'm just, I just, I'm just not a collectivist. Like I think it's, I think it's idealistic. Boy said about them. Yeah. I think it's just idealistic. I think you build the community around you that you got, like you find your five or six or whatever you find whoever willing to go. And then you just kind of got to rock out. Like, and I, I, I like, Growing up, you know how everybody talks about the middle class, the middle class, the middle class. Well, I didn't grow up middle. I didn't grow up middle class. I grew up poor. And then you were like, "Oh, a black person come," and then they saying the same thing about middle class, middle class. It's like, "Oh yeah, bro." Like they don't even they don't left you behind. Like again, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to deal with the realities in which that I came and how I move. I if if I'm going to wait for a revolution, with, for black people to all be together and be on the same boat, though, you will die. You will just die. It's just, it's just, time will just pass you by. You you gonna well, have real long hair and fingernails. I I would die that? from that thought though. I think I don't think I think if you waiting before you start doing anything for that to happen because here's the thing. I don't think anybody don't, saying don't wait. wait. I think we're saying that. I don't I don't I don't I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to want it. I don't think it's wrong to yeah. want it. Right. What, what yeah. I, and I want to be very clear because that's why I start off with what I said. I love listening to these stories. But I also feel like I'm listening to a Marvel comic as well, like because I've I've never seen this shit. Like this is not what I grew up in in that larger scale. It's always been cut up, right? It's like this little group at the boys' club or this little group at my church, right? You know what I mean? Like it's never been the full joint. You know what I mean? So I think, I, I, so I love so Reef. I want you to keep telling those stories and I want you to keep having that hope. Yeah, but I know both. there's I know there's a contingent of people that are also like. I can't wait. Like, if you can't wait, if you can't afford to wait no more, if you live in a certain circumstance where, listen, I love my community. I, I picked this community on purpose, but I also ain't dumb. I also know the shit I got to have in my house and what I got to be ready to do because shit is real out here. 
You know what I mean? And I, and I think I, I just be wanting to have those conversations as well sometimes. You know what I mean? Where, where do you get the yeah, weight? But, where, 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 yeah, I, I don't I, the I, 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 tell you. I, I mean, we're actually saying do something now. We're, we're well, saying like well, do yeah. something but right saying, now. But you're saying to do it as a collective, right? A collective can be two people. I think when oh. we think of revolutionary, I think we, we sometimes get to, you know, like uh, not only rhetoric, we get like nostalgic we get emotional i'm i'm a you know what what michael Cortal talks about a pragmatic revolutionary what can i do i guess, well, for I guess me, it's always monday morning remember i look, came out of school for 26 years it is always monday morning it is always what is this next this next day look like for students and when we think about malcolm when he actually talked about revolution he said the most revolutionary thing that we could do is build strong cohesive units a unit absolutely. can be two folks a unit, can be, a unit can be you mentoring these young boys. Well, let me be clear then, Reef. Let me be clear. Let me None be clear. None of us are here like just dreaming. I'm not in a dream world. I got you. I didn't say you was in a dream world. I said. I'm, I'm saying I, what, hope, dreaming, waiting, all that to me is I a dream. What I, what I think, I, I think that the things that I've heard you describe is a dream for me. I think it's a beautiful one. I think it's poetry when I hear about it. And when we're having a conversation about building black schools, how many people does it take to be able to do that? What I'm saying is there's a lot of people that don't have even that amount of hope. And what I'm and, and so I don't disagree that we don't that that we should I feel like we should go. We should do what we got to do. But sometimes people will chide me because they're like, you're not waiting on nobody or you're not trying to bring people in. And it's like I've tried to bring people in, right? So, but sometimes you got to go survive. And sometimes you got to do what you need to do. I don't think that said that runs counter to any of your principles, Sharif. And I want to be clear on that. But I do think there's a contingent of people that might be listening that are also listening to these stories that you have. And that is just hasn't been their relationship. That hasn't been their relationship to community either. You had a very, very rich community in like spirit and love. 100%. And I mean, everybody it's, don't have that is what I'm saying. Everybody well, no, don't have this that. Is to my earlier point, though, to my earlier point about the tension between the Monday morning people and the people who are front lines and the people that have to be build bigger systems or whatnot, I, I'm going to continue to say it. Not everything's for everybody. Long-term planning isn't for everybody. Trying to plan a race to turn around and do something big isn't for everybody. I wouldn't go ask the people on the street who have never experienced anything of collectivism or whatever to be the ones to try and be our architects to help us get there. But I do want people doing both. I want people doing practical things for people on the street and people who can educate in classrooms and who can do things in community centers. And I also want some people thinking about larger race strategy for our bigger group, just like other groups are doing. I'm not asking everybody to do Wait. that though. I'm looking at these yeah. comments, man, and I, I, I need to, I'm taking Ombridge, man. I, I don't know who Eric is, and I, well, I, I think you're from a good speak. place. No, I'm taking Ombridge, bro. Like, well, I was going to say, from, wait, wait, hold umbridge, on. wait a minute, let's just hold on. Do your Ombridge in our closing thoughts, too. Well, we'll do that. We'll do that, because I, I don't know why I got to be speaking Go from trauma to talk about people's, like, realities. Like a lot of people got their own lived realities and that's some dismissive shit, but let's go. I'll, I'll do it in my in my closing comment. Go ahead. I thought that's what you're about to start. Go oh yeah, no, <laughs> smoke can come. It's all good. Uh, or, or like where El Michelle said, he grew up poor, but has social mobility tools um, that, and too many blacks are blocked She's from those tools. You don't know what tools I had. Like, th th like this is what I'm saying. Like, we don't know what tools I had or didn't have, or it's not just necessarily somebody, you, 
don't dismiss somebody's or millions of people's lived experiences that's happening right now. It's just like, oh, that's just, it's a lot of people that's living, quote unquote, through trauma. And if my thing, if we're doing a show that's about the 8 million black people, like Chris said, a lot of those black people got money. A lot of those black people are rich. A lot of those black people are middle class. But there's a lot of black poor people. And every time we had these type of conversations in Congress and on TV and in these stages, and it's all about the middle class. And then when somebody from that community just is trying to survive, you don't get to dismiss them. It's like, oh, well, they just living through trauma. That's just they, that's just the shit that they grew up in. You know what I'm saying? I did grow up around people getting shot. I did grow up around people getting robbed. I did grow up in a place where if you left your car open, that shit was going to get robbed or stolen. You know what I'm saying? Like things are going to happen. Like we, we have black people like that, that are, those are the people that I like to talk to the most because they don't have as much. And it's like, yo, here's something that you can do. I want to give those people hope. I just, I mean, I, I, I get it. I just, I feel like those, that experience gets dismissed a lot, but I'm always going to rep it. So it is what it is. Ray, you want to do your closing thoughts? No doubt. All right, so, man, I come from poor uh, beginnings, but it's not my reality now. Um, I could spend time uh, thinking about the things that I've gone through and, and let that, like, drive me, but but I don't. It drives me in a way, but not in a way in which, like, I'm, I'm going to show up, like, out of character or anything like that. Like, folks in the comments, I, 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 I'm glad you guys are here. Please share this uh, the, the show. Remember, you got folks that have just gotten off a plane. You got folks that are on vacation right now, but that we're still showing up for you on a Sunday night. So please uh, like and share this show. And God bless y'all, man. Good to be back. So it's because I got off a plane. Because <laughs> I would get off a plane. So, I just bro, didn't agree so, with so, so, so for, 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 let me let, let me let me let me clear let me let me clear this up. All I'm saying is that I'm giving you credit for being on a show after getting off a plane 20 minutes 20 minutes from getting from the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we're just having conversation. And again, these are just the tough conversations we got to have. I'm, you know, I'm going to say what I need to say regardless. But I, it's all good. It's all love. Let's keep it moving. Chris, closing thoughts. So, coming to you live from the whitest place on <laughs> planet Earth. <laughs> My name is Chris Stewart. I'm underneath fluorescent light with the brothers. Listen, um, I hope so. So uh, independent black schools and independent learning opportunities for me is a goal that we should just support and run with it. it uh, my big kind of like attachment to an idea is around rebuilding black educational capital. And to me, the very specific concrete way that that happens is you start owning buildings, you start owning places and the spaces where our children learn and you start owning the process like who gets hired, what gets taught, how it gets taught, how it gets rebooted when it doesn't work, all of that type of stuff. Uh, Charles has talked a lot about like hidden institutions. Sharif, you've been talking about a pipeline of actual teachers to make this, to make this work. Uh, Ray, you run an actual network of schools. Um, I have like considered all of this, like the Voltron parts of a real black um, theory of change a black strategy, um, but not everybody, someone told me a long time ago, every revolution requires revolutionaries at all levels. Like, like, right, we, you requires everybody you, from the gardener on up to the CEOs or whoever, everybody's got a job to do. So we don't, we don't need to ask everybody to do the big job. Someone should be thinking long-term about what's good for us and how we're gonna come out of this. Somebody should be thinking about how systems 
are going to work and how the trains are going to work and get us out of this, the thing that we're in right now, the perpetual captivity right. that never ended and that we still are is beholden on us to end it. Someone's going to be thinking that through. And someone's got to be thinking through the thing that Charles is putting on the table all the time, which is we got the proletariat walking around every day, all day long, disconnected from the talented 10 and others who talk all this fancy pie in the sky stuff and don't deliver anything material for people's real lives every day in the form of solutions, in the form of like something you can use, like something actual that you can use. We can have all these discussions. If I can't use any of it next week, then, then God bless you. Um, anyway, so that's my, my thought on, I love the, your bringing this show to us um, because I think it's so critical to having a plan, a black plan for us to, to succeed. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate you all, you know, being here, especially, you know, with all the, you know, it's summertime, folks are, you know, like moving and shaking mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, so appreciate it. And, you know, and I, I thought, you know, for me, this conversation is, and I agree with you 100%, there has to be, you know, one, if I, you know, my framing is that institutions fight institutions. And if you don't build institutions, then it's the fight just becomes perpetual. Like you, you'll never get to the place of, of a, you know, a holistic, healthy society for, for us if we don't have institutions doing that work. Unfortunately, some of the institutions that we built years ago have kind of lost their way, you know? Um, and just like we talk about the youth needing kind of a, a counterculture revolution, we need, we need some of the institutions to have a cultural revolution or new ones to be built. Um, so the, the idea for me, and a cultural revolution happens individually as well, person to person, base to base, creating this. But this cultural revolution for me that with that uh, centers education is absolutely critical. Um, and we can do that with the institutions, but again, that Monday morning question that you always brings up is absolutely critical. And I've been grateful to, you know, yes, I had a, I, I feel more and more privileged the older I get about the experience I had in my, uh, really my pre-K to eighth grade uh, uh, school. Um, high school, I went to, you know, the neighborhood school, you know, but also, you know, the benefit of being able to teach uh, across a quarter of a century within neighborhood schools, black neighborhood schools that were actually, many of them were in poverty. They were all title one schools. Many of them were, you know, what do they call it, hand to mouth, or you know what I mean? Like just in dire straits. Um, and many of us had, the, you know, three of us at least had, uh, well, all of us, social worker uh, experience and, and visiting homes uh, with families that were in ho houses that were condemned, that, you know, they were basically breaking into to live because they did not want to live in the shelter. And understanding, hearing them and remembering their words about what they wanted for the children is ultimately what, what for me, this is all about. And that can be done individually and um, institutionally uh, at the same time. But what they, how they envisioned the future for their children, they wanted something. They wanted something powerful and stronger and they were looking for other folks um, in the community to, to support them, you know? And um, I think that's, that's our role, that's our job. And to serve the people, it has to be a pleasure, an honor and a duty that we feel compelled to do. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of the Eight Black Hands. Love being here, love being in community. And this just uh, shows me over and over and over again that you can build community wherever you are. And that is the start. So if these four uh, men can do it, 
then four other people can do it and four other people can do it four other people can do it so let's get it let's do it peace peace